Hello and welcome to Death of a Thousand Cuts, making you an awesome writer one cut at a time. My name is Tim Clare and this is a show about writing for writers, for readers and for anyone with a morbid fascination with how the story sausage is made. On this show we have three central planks to our writing manifesto. Plank the first to help you write more, plank the second to help you write better and plank the third to help you be a little bit happier. As you do those things to that end, I get authors on the show and I chat about their craft and I get tips from them. I get listeners to send in their first pages of their stories and I suggest ways that they might make them better. And sometimes I just talk about my own experience as a writer and what I'm up to and how I'm feeling about writing in general. And I see where that takes me a pull on a thread dangling from my writing jumper and I let the whole thing unravel in real time. Today, I want to talk about an exchange I had on Twitter a couple of months ago now. Not the most promising premise for a podcast i i confess but it is writing related and it's um an exchange i had uh with i think he's uh, an editor uh, uh he was giving some advice for non-fiction writers from for first time specifically non-fiction writers and look, i don't I, i've been off twitter i, I decided i was going to take until the end of uh october a break so that ended up i decided that sort of like first or second week of September so I, I took you know taken a month and a half off because is you know I, th- I think it's a fairly uncontroversial position to take that uh social media does not often bring out the best in people it's not often particularly Twitter uh, a forum in which the greatest qualities of humanity shine, the brightest. And just to take full responsibility, I think that's particularly true of someone like me. I do my very best on this podcast and in my, you know, like my performances when I've done live shows and when I've written books that are non-fiction, to cultivate a public-facing persona of... A sort of charmingly vulnerable character, right? Like, I want people to like me. I want them to think of me, you know, as somebody who, you know, if I, if I struggle, the things I struggle with only add to, you know, they, they, they lower my status in a way that m- makes me sympathetic. And I just find that often when I'm actually on Twitter, I just come across like an entitled asshole. Like, it's very difficult for me to not fall into the trap of very quickly becoming self-righteous argumentative and unpleasant and and and, and when I, even when I'm not it's kind of eating up a lot of my imaginative head, headspace and I, I just thought you know this is this the person I want to be just some and then sometimes I'm, I just I'm just feeling quietly annoyed with other people for thinking things that are not in in precise lockstep with my own opinions not even necessarily things of consequence it might just be like a their opinion on a video game or a movie or something like that or a, a particular meal and I, I feel i feel vexed and that's just that's silly and I, and I don't really experience that in real life you know when i'm talking to people when they have different opinions to me on stuff i i i, I for some reason i find it much easier to deal with and yet on social media i i i get that intense feeling of someone is wrong on the internet and, and that they're broadcasting misinformation even if it's just about the best biscuit to go with a cup of tea or something like I, I i can't help 
but feel that it's my business when it's just not. And then other people do that to me as well. And, you know, it's a public forum, right? You know, you post something. It seems odd to imagine that the only engagement that you think is reasonable is like uncritical approval and sharing of what you've said. Uh, you know, that's odd as well. If the only way, you know, what are we just lying to each other? We only want cheerleaders and that's it. We can't have a discussion. We can't disagree. What? Why are you sharing it? If you, why do you feel so threatened by being challenged? But I feel threatened when people challenge, it, especially because sometimes it happens that it's like for fifty people at once. That I think is not something that we as human beings are wired to enjoy. So I understand, and I just you know you get after a while you think you think, and I've taken breaks from it before, and I always feel better because I'm just like this is not, and it's not, I don't actually think that social media and Twitter is, is it's not actually as acrimonious as the common understanding of it would would have. If you you know I've, I've made a point of looking through my feed and seen you know how many messages or exchanges or messages to me are could even be construed in the vaguest sense as being sort of some form of conflict or antagonism and and it's and it's 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 a it's a tiny proportion it's it's very few of them but i feel that i sometimes go hunting for those things or they stick out more for me and it's just not you know it, it just doesn't feel like a very productive use of my time and you've got to acknowledge I always think it's worth our pushing ourselves to exist in spaces that we don't feel immediately and instantly comfortable. I, I've benefited hugely in my life from doing that, from challenging myself. And I think it expands the range of places you can exist. And, you know, I, a lot for a lot of the time, writing has not been always an uncomfortable has not been always a comfortable or intrinsically enjoyable activity for me and I'm so glad I've stuck with it and I've stuck with tough projects and I've come back to them and I've worked on them because you expand your capacity to deal with that and sometimes you expand your capacity for enjoyment and a sense of mastery and satisfaction and your resilience so don't get me wrong but I just feel like Twitter has so little payoff. It just feels a bit addictive. And the way I engage with it, I just feel like no face in the bathhouse in Spirited Away. You know, like I am just feeding off the bad energies, off the dark juju of Twitter. And I, I can feel, <laughs> I can feel myself bulking out and expanding and great more opening opening up in in my belly as I, I i demand more and more attention and i i become more ravenously paranoid and I, I just feel like an absolute trash monster so that's why i i i stay away from it i i think you know people can use it as they see fit i think there's a lot of pressure on us as writers sometimes to be good at social media and that kind of thing but i, I my personal opinion is that if you look at writers who tend to find an audience and be successful as writers it's not 
because they were great at social media. It's generally because they've written books that people want to read and that's about it. And your time is, be- you know, if, if you're worried, if you, if you don't enjoy social media, but you're worried that you have to be on there for the purposes of your career, I can gesture broadly at a great swathes of authors who do perfectly well and don't go anywhere near social media whatsoever. And probably you're just as likely to torpedo your career by saying something that uh, some group or another um, take again and uh, and start uh, brigading you about than, than you are to say something that shifts more units. And, and, and really all that time could be better self spent on a combination of writing and and self-care you know i the 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 the, the sort of tricky thing the thing that keeps me coming back i guess is that there are a few people that i find really interesting on there there's some people that i care about i love being able to use it and i have been using it even on my you know I, i i occasionally use it for updates and the other thing i'll use it for is a kind of hive mind where i say does anyone know anyone involved in this on the kind of research side of things and it's oh my gosh when that happens i go oh i get it i've you know had uh, you know researchers people in neuroscience who follow me you know after my last book who you know i put a post out so to do with research and mental health and immediately someone is giving me really great advice on who i should be speaking to on a subject and you kind of go this is this is the dream right to just have a network of nice people who are also experts in a variety of field now fields now that as a writer it is actually a time saver and really nice and you just have positive interactions with people i really like that aspect of it i just don't like everything else and and i was using it i think initially i was just like posting my idle thoughts a bit like i'm you know doing now on the podcast but with less context so like a series of idle thoughts in post-it form and at some stage someone's going to see something you've said and disagree with it and that's fine and that should be fine but i feeling i i think i'm maybe a little bit more sensitive than the average person which is just not a good way to be if you're going to be sharing your inner monologue because if one person dislikes something there's a really good chance they'll quote tweet it uh to criticize it rather than just messaging you privately and then more and more people see it and of course they don't like it either the, i think the writing community i don't know if it, the writing community especially but my goodness when someone says something that other people don't agree with the idea that everyone in the writing community feels obliged to step in and comment on the take it just feels it feels horribly like bullying and it's something that i do not like about the writing community and it's another reason i don't you know i've been enjoyed stepping back from twitter because my goodness it does not make me feel good about a lot of people that i share the community with the and often it'll be you know like some rando like somebody who there was a, a post, and I will get to the point of this episode in a second, but um, just as a, an adjunct, there was a post a while back where somebody had posted, 
or you know just you know just it was like it was a post that basically said other you know just be aware when you get into writing those other you know other writers are not your friends they're you know they're the competition that's what someone had put and you know some people had said that's not true you know it's important that's a really unhelpful mindset to have you know these people are your friends why would you not see them as your friends that seems very mercenary all true but this was written by a guy who i went and read a bit of his feed and he was just he's just like he's not a public he's not a traditionally published author it's a guy who's working you know his previous posts had been like oh i just you know got home from my shift he was working i think you know at a fast food restaurant or something and he was talking about being really tired you know this is a guy who's working split shifts presumably for the minimum wage and then every writer that i follow on twitter quote tweeted or screenshotted what he said and said how stupid and asinine and toxic it was and how they had loads of friends they were friends with loads of people and the writing community is really friendly actually and what an awful thing to say and the irony was actually it didn't come across for those two days of everyone quote tweeting that tweet that comment didn't come across as a friendly community it it it, it came across as a community of ravenous <laughs> of, of, of 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 ravenous carnivorous harpies who just are lying round like a pride of lions for the for, for for the second somebody steps out of line just rise up in a black cloud and 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 just eat them for social capital because all these writers would do it you know who what why did why did 150 authors all feel like the world they the they had a duty to have their balcony moment to come out and read a statement because they knew about it because they'd seen other writers saying stuff about it what do they think well i i need to add my two penneth worth to this i'm going to say exactly the same thing and get loads of likes and retweets from people going yeah what a douchebag you know i i read that guy's feed afterwards and he's saying like i'm going to take a break from twitter i think if you've seen what's been going on you'll understand it just seemed like this feeding frenzy of people thoughtlessly punching down because they could because they felt like they had a moral imperative that would make it unimpeachable and they could get clout for doing so and i see that in writing in the writing world on twitter over and over again and it happens i think in sort of in the kind of kind or romance world every now and then there'll be some scandal and people will do that and there's various reasons people swarm on someone there was a i don't it, there was a thing that a, a short story that was published uh called i i don't you and you might have heard of this and i don't, don't mean to bring it up in a kind of drama way but it was called um, i identify as an attack helicopter and it was about somebody who was literally had been sort of transformed into a, a attack helicopter but it was, it was it was a story about gender and transness as well because that and it was sort of reappropriating this 
hack jibe that had been used on the internet where people were going oh there's a billion genders nowadays i i actually identify as, as an attack helicopter it's this very kind of hack a uh, sort of lazy right-wing joke that had been that this author had, uh, had had reimagined for an SF story, and people started piling into it, saying, "Oh, this is like such a transphobic story." The story wasn't; they just took the title and kind of ran with that, and saying, "And you and you can tell that it wasn't that it was written by a cis person." As and I, you know, for the record, for you know, for, you can take this as my, my opinion it just means as much as anyone else's i don't think i don't think that matters you know and I, you know i was went to university and learned about writing under the kind of like bathian death of the author type of thing but i just think like either the story is good and nuanced and interesting and has something to say or it doesn't uh i don't feel that the authorship can save it or or alternately condemn it i think that is an incredibly um it just feels like an, an incredibly thin way to read a text and incredibly problematic and it and it actually proposes a, a kind of gender essentialism that i find really worrying this idea that the that the authorship is the only thing that can inflect the cut that inflects the content in some absolute way but also that <laughs> there's you know there's some you know somebody of 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 one gender would 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 has a way of seeing the world that is is so essentialist that it it literally cannot be transmuted into someone else's perspective on the world it just that just seems and I think there are shades of argument um, around that. And I I also think I would go ahead and say I would be prepared to say someone could disagree with me on that point. And I still respect them. And I may very well be wrong. There may be some things I'm overlooking or oversimplifying. I, you know, I'm actually happy to have that discussion with someone and to listen to them and have my mind potentially changed. I'm not afraid of that because I'm wrong about a lot of stuff or if we want to use like less inflammatory terms as wrong i just you know I, I learn all the time and i hope that i revise my views in 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 light of facts but anyway it, it turned out of course that the author was, was uh, it was but they were a trans author and had been in, and, and had actually i think stopped had sort of been put off transitioning because they'd had all these people going this person's obviously not trans and it, it like it was traumatic for them to just read hundreds and and lots of high profile authors as well who just were like i'm gonna i'm gonna step in and i get to say this because it's in the name of something moral id uh, i.e kind of policing uh who can and who can't be involved in a discussion cultural movement who can make writing and who can't and it caused huge harm. And then, of course, then loads. But then people jump in and start attacking the people who said stuff. Because then now it's like, ah, we, we, you know, the scene needs to learn from this. And what people learned, and that's why I want to be very careful. I'm not condemning. I don't want to condemn any individuals around this. It's like 
then then loads of people started writing pieces attacking individuals for their role role in kind of this pylon in this series of pylons and how that was problematic itself and all they caused harm and the and it was a kind of gotcha like uh, look at look who it turned out to be so we shouldn't ever attack people just in case we're wrong not like maybe there's a way that we can conduct discussions around stories that aren't about skewering people for moral fame maybe we can just say like whether a story is successful or not whether it works whether it was well written rather than making everything a flipping referendum on that person's right to exist their right to create art when we just seem to be so interested in just bypassing the story altogether to examine someone's soul and their ethical where you know are they culpable are they causing harm and it's difficult right because i've participated in these kind of pylons and this is why I, you know i feel like i want to step back from twitter a lot because of, i because i do it and i see it happening and sometimes i i think oh god can, can we not can we not do this or can we can we not call stuff out but can we highlight flaws in a piece of work without crucifying the author because it does make it very easy for a lot of lazy critiques of people wanting writing to be better and more diverse and more reflective of the world does make it very easy when everything is conducted at this this scintillating shuddering pitch of outrage it just it, it's just rubbish it just it, and i don't think that's how most people engage with books and, and i think it's reflected by the fact that it doesn't reflect that the the, the, the the people's actual you know the books that sell and what we buy and what what people choose to read is not really reflected by these endless discourse sharknados of just people trying to gobble each other and rally factions and oh my gosh i find it so wearying and exhausting and not what i got into writing about before. and at the same time i just i feel like most of the people having these discord you know doing this stuff i just i feel myself disengaging from them as human beings and just going well i don't i don't feel like i want to win the argument with you i just don't think you're a worthy interlocutor i don't think you're good opinion or your good graces is worth courting because you don't aren't displaying any thing that i would consider to be decent judgment and that's horrible like i'm you know i can feel myself turning into a sort of aloof aristocratic vampire of the internet you know like backing away from people going these petty mortals with their insignificant quarrels. It means nothing to me who takes 
the longer view. I, I, I'd like, I feel myself floating above them. And what? That's not good either. You know, and I, I suspect that a lot of the people having engaging in these tussles are like, you know, if you talk to them, are perfectly lovely people who actually, in real life, tend to phrase things more reasonably, who tend to have discussions, who, when they're looking at another human in the eye and not performing with a certain amount of physical distance that can make us forget one another's humanity and mutual value. You know, I, it's, it's easier to start just sounding off. And it's harder when you're kind of there with someone. Now, I know, you know, I can immediately feel the sort of response. It's like, well, maybe people, some people you know, feel threatened face to face and they're actually be able, being able to speak their minds. And, and that, that's true as well. It's complicated. But like, ultimately, the great problem in all these colossal argument, you know, discourse monsters is that they're opt-in like people have to voluntarily engage with them for them to have any weight and I just see people more and more including myself you just it feels really important to the second that you step away and then you're like oh no one gives a rat's ass about this like outside of this tiny circle of very angry people no one notices or cares and all you and, and and you just step away from it and it has absolutely no heft whatsoever no way whatsoever it just doesn't exist because it requires on you voluntarily joining in and then people can just sort of scream into the ether for as long as they want they just they have no power then and and, and i just and even but even then you know you can hear the way i talk about it there's this kind of there's this kind of like callous triumphalism that's like Continue with your meaningless caterwauling. You are li- less than maggots to me. And it's just like, come on. Yeah, and this is why I back away from it. See. Anyway, it, it didn't, it was, this was not at any... The, the, the thing I want to talk about today was not at that level of drama at all. It was, it was a simple disagreement uh, that didn't result in some kind of big argument. It was a, it was a simple, I think, fairly civil disagreement um, that I just wanted to. I, I thought would actually be quite a good topic because I only you know sent a couple of tweets. It would actually be quite a good topic for me to talk about because what I don't like doing and what people so often do is someone makes a, a point, they do use a, have a take, and then it gets quote tweeted by someone saying I don't, I disagree with this and here's the why, and then people sort of. And it's been taken out of context anyway from a thread where maybe there's a little bit more nuance. And and then it's just that the other person's followers kind of like laying into or criticising the original poster. And, and, and I don't think that does anything except, you know, add a little bit to the status of the person who's who's attacking, the you know, the person they're dunking on. You know, they might be doing it in good faith or not, but I, I just think I would like to, you know, respectfully disagree because I think, you know, this is a fairly um, non-contentious thing. This isn't somebody 
saying, I think all Belgians should be put in a cage. Like it's not, <laughs> no, there's not like there's not a moral outrage dimension to this. Uh, so I hope that, you know, it's, it's about writing and I hope it's something that I can discuss while sort of still reflecting the um, value of the person who said it. And um, so it, it was a, this editor, Eric Nelson on uh, Twitter, and you can go and read his thread. It was back on August the 19th he posted it. And it's, you know, it, as a thread, I think, posted with the best of intentions. He, he wrote, uh, here are some of the tips I send to all my first-time non-fiction authors, people who have written a book. What am I missing? Question mark. So he... he um, so these are some. He was. He's just sort of generously sharing some stuff that he gives to his that he share, that he tells his authors, and then he's actively soliciting other suggestions from authors. So he's not even saying this is, you know, this is the way to do it definitively. He's accept, he's accepting that other people might have suggestions. So I I think you know the tone of this is 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 very sort of like community minded and convivial. So it, you know comes across as perfectly reasonable human being, and some of the tips that he did before that and so most of the tips he said i actually agreed with and it was only the last one that i took issue with because you know he has tips like call your editor when you're in trouble and he's just saying that editors are there to help you and if you're stuck or feeling worried drop your your editor an email and say hey i'm 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 feeling worried your editor is there to help you and i probably would much prefer you say when you're you're worried than you sort of going into kind of radio silence for ages and, and then it turning out and, and becoming blocked and procrastinating and feeling terribly fretful uh, and then the book sort of falling behind schedule then you you know going in early and saying can you help me because that's kind of what they're there for obviously with certain limits um but if there's a specific problem you've got sharing that they might have as he says he says i'll have a few he says, you know, he says, it's tempting to reach out to show me how well things are going, but I need to hear from you when it's all a disaster. I'll have a few kind words, but I may also have a couple of solutions. Super great piece of advice. And also a piece of advice you don't hear very often from editors. Like, I'm, well, I'm sure they, you know, they would all agree with that. But I think that's just a, a super positive, lovely thing. So, you know, I, I to be clear, this is a, a guy who clearly on some level knows his stuff when it comes to writing and he's saying positive things so i don't want you to think that my disagreement with him is anything about him um he he says things like don't start with the intro and then he immediately says feel free to ignore this advice and write the intro first if that's how your mind works so he's not even saying he's not being absolutist about this but he says just know that very few introductions written at the start make it into any form in the into the final book i've said this myself that you know you're not qualified to write the beginning until you've written the end you the 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 book dictates that you that your starting point is most obvious when you've written the whole book and then you start and that's been that was true of my last book that i really cool it was it, it was really late in the process just before we went to print with the pre-proofs that i we got the order around and worked out what, how the book was going to open the, so it's, that's a great another great piece of advice that I agree with wholeheartedly. He says, write the interesting parts first. If you're eager to lay into a topic, but it's chapter six, still write it first. Anything that looks hard or boring may turn out to be unnecessary. These, this great bit of advice, you know, you're, you're allowed, especially in nonfiction, but I think this is true of novels as well. Jump into like a set piece key scene that you're, you know, a lovely climactic scene. Jump into the stuff that you feel excited about and see what happens when you write that. I, I do it an exercise uh, with writing groups quite a lot where I get people to make up 
t- and in fact, I think I used it on my on one or both of my writing courses, but where I get people to write down like a title and a blurb for a book. And then I get them to jump in and write the climactic scene of an of a novel that doesn't exist. But they and, and, and so often, actually, they write that climactic scene and, and what they have actually written is a really great opening. You know, someone escaping from a burning building, two characters facing off. There's something about, you know, that moment of high drama, that that high point, that thematic high point as well. This kind of like high watermark of the the book often turns out to be very comprehensible as an opening opening scene as well, but it's it's a great way of focusing your mind. Even if again, that climax that you write doesn't end. You know, it's what I did with the ice house. Actually, I wrote a climactic scene first, and it got definitely mutated in several important ways. Um, so it didn't really exist in the same way in the final book but my goodness it it was useful and it was fun as well it was fun to write this scene where stuff was coming to a head that's what you want like that's what you know that that's the essence of a great scene is is a moment where something's gonna got to change where tensions and conflicts are finally reaching a point where something decisive has to happen. That's that's a, that's a fun scene to write, and it's a and in nonfiction as well. Just jumping to a bit, a chapter, a topic that you you just know is is interesting to you that you want to write a bit of research, you know, a bit from whatever, wherever that where you've got a sense of how that chapter looks. I th- I think it's. And it builds up your set. It builds up your self confidence as well. So these are all great. These are all great pieces of advice. But his final piece of advice he gave, I disagreed with. And I want to say what it is, and then go into a bit of detail about why I disagree with it respectfully. Um, and I think the Nate actually. I think he may have had a bit of a. I'm not saying he backed away from his suggestion, but he's deleted a lot of his replies to me and other people where where he he disagreed, where he sort of tried to defend it, and I think maybe he feels like the way he did. I I, I defended it. I I, I won't. I could. I'm not going to find those original responses because I think his deleting them means that he sort of regrets them at some level, and so. I think that's fair enough and we'll just leave it be but I this was the one I took issue with and I, I told him so and um, we hadn't had an exchange and it wasn't heated or anything but I, I just you know I, I think I fairly you know resp- fairly sort of firmly disagreed with what he was saying so here's his piece of advice and I think whether you write non-fiction or not I mean I'm writing non-fiction at the moment and my last book was non-fiction and I really want to go out for to bat for you know creative non-fiction is something a lot of writers could consider even those you know those of us who, who consider ourselves like novelists or whatever I, I think cross-training for a start is great a great way of improving your writing I think it's so important in fact and that's why all my writing courses have a mix of you know poetry non-fiction you know memoir and and fiction because I think they just all feed into each other in such important ways but I think this is probably true of fiction as well. 
in 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 every important way i think it's in true fiction so here's a piece of advice and then i'll go into my thoughts on it um i, I i've had a couple of goes at recording this episode actually i'm doing this now unedited uh, in just a single take but i had a couple of runs at it and i think it just goes to show what an effect even a very mild case of covid can have because i found for the first ever time that i ran out of i ran out of energy like just recording an episode i suddenly i was, I was like pouring sweat and i i tried to reach up onto the shelf my bookshelf to get a book down and i was too tired to get it down and then i started recording and after about 20 minutes i was like i can't do this i just want to go to sleep so just a heads up avoid getting covid if you can because i still haven't got my sense of smell and taste back i, I think i'm going to be fine but it really i've got a bit of post-viral fatigue i think it's it, it's an it's an intense thing and a real kind of like brain fog tiredness as well i'm 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 fine i think i'm gonna be fine but i'm kind of i thought people maybe i don't mean i, I was gonna about to say i thought people were exaggerating i don't mean about the the danger posed by the global pandemic i understand it's real i just mean when people said they'd had it mildly but then they've been tired for weeks afterwards i thought well maybe that's kind of like you're imagining that but they weren't and i stand corrected anyway here's what he said so here's a piece his piece of advice when you're writing non-fiction quote think switches not dials most advice is do more x which isn't that helpful work harder think bigger People are looking for switches. Stop doing X. Start doing Y. The most interesting ideas divide the world into a few options and say which is the right one. End quote. So, you know, just to summarise in a way that I think summarises that well, he, 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 he's, the distinction is switches, not dials. So instead of this kind of graded more or less advice, you know, like a, like a dial that you can turn up or turn down, in a non-fiction book, he's saying switches, binaries. It's either on or it's off. This thing is either do it or stop it. That's he, he thinks that makes a much better book. And my an initial sort of observation, I said, I love all the advice except this one. I mean, I'm sure it makes more compelling books for many readers. So you may very well be right in the ways that matter. But respectively, respectfully, gosh, the world could do with some more nuance and less punditry. So what did I mean? by that well i i think i you know if i'm honest I, I i felt slightly defensive of the position and this is one of the other ways that you know social media brings out the worst in me because i felt that the book i'd just written that's coward was a lot of it was about embracing nuance and avoiding the illusory comfort of switches versus dials that they're like this thing's right this thing's wrong the kind of absolutism of that and i feel that all the best non-fiction that i've read all the non-fiction that i love all the non-fiction that i respect and i'm gonna say all the stories that i respect are about the gray areas the nuance the complexity of life, the, oh, it's a bit this and it's kind of a bit that, rather than this kind of binary black and white, on or off, this thing good, this thing bad, here's why. In fact, I think the idea that 
you can just sort the world into two buckets, one marked right and one marked wrong, is really dangerous and harmful. And I feel like a lot of nonfiction does actually do that, right? It does sort the world into start doing this, stop doing that. It does say, here's, you know, here's your diet plan. Do this and you'll get ripped in six weeks or whatever. Do this and you'll be able to sleep better. Do this and you'll beat depression forever without meds. Uh, do this to have total confidence all the time. Do this to be successful beyond your wildest dreams and stop this. And maybe, maybe you can use a couple, you know, you, maybe you can be very provocative in your title. Like, I understand that in the same way that some YouTube videos have slightly provocative titles and then a more nuanced when you actually click on the vid. Vid is short for video. But there's a reason why things like self-help and smart thinking books have a reputation for being huckster bullshit, for selling you a line, for not actually changing anything in your life and not being very helpful in general. Of course, we can all think of books that we read that were really good, but that kind of oversimplified way of looking at the world, I'm sure does make in the short term a much better sales pitch. You know, if you've got two sets of people <laughs> trying to lead the example I've given before is like, imagine that you're in a burning building and one person says, and you you want someone to lead you out. And one person says, uh, I mean, I. it's not clear because I don't know exactly where the source of the fire is. And I'm not fully trained in this. But I think I've got a reasonable idea. And if you follow me, but look, if anyone else knows better, then please step in. But if you come with me, I can kind of guide you towards where I think the exit is. Uh, although the smoke is making vision difficult. So everyone else, you know, keep your eyes out. And if something obvious, if an obviously better route uh, comes up or one of you see that I'm definitely going the wrong way, do say something. Don't completely give over your uh, safety to me versus someone who goes, I know the way I'm a fire marshal. Follow me now. Who do you follow? Well, you follow the second person. I would anyway, because it feels urgent and essential. And we often take confidence as a proxy indicator of authority. That second person, by saying something very def definite, sounds authoritative. They're not apologising. They're not admitting the possibility that they might be wrong. They give very quick answers. And so they, you, they seem like the person you want to follow. Well, the same is true of any book, especially any book where... You know, we can raise almost any aspect of life to a state of semi-emergency, right? You know, whether it's about success or relationships or the environment or 
health or fitness or mental health it's it, it's very easy to present that and a lot of books do as part of their sales pitch as like this is the fundamental problem facing either humanity at large or you the reader permanently per, per personally and if we can solve this we you need to solve this otherwise your life or is it, the world's going to end or your personal life is going to be a disaster and this is the book that's going to do that and there's going to be some stuff you've got to do but the answers inquire within dear reader because the answers are here well i can see why that's a more compelling pitch than it's kind of, well it's complicated and i felt that actually when i first started talking to experts when i was doing my book and when i spoke to real like people who actually worked professionally as you know head of neuroscience or whatever or professional psychiatrists who were you know reasonably well known in their field when they wouldn't just give me a kind of here's the answer here's the three things you need to do i felt a bit i initially i felt a bit annoyed with them it's like you're holding back don't don't be wishy-washy don't you know don't you know tip your head from side to side evasively and go oh well it could be a bit this could be a bit that like oh just tell me tell me the answer you, you know who gave you know you, you know who gave me a very definitive when i asked them why am i anxious because that's what the book's about my anxiety you know who gave me an immediate and definitive answer and said yeah i can help you the acupuncturist i went to see he was great for that i said why am i anxious what do you think is causing my anxiety he said well and then he uh, no word of a lie he pulled like a drawstring behind him and pulled down this chart of the human body with meridians flowing all over it and he had a little pointer and he pointed and he he traced this meridian through my body to my liver where he which he said uh my, in my liver my key was blocked and that was causing anxiety and they needed to do he needed to do some work to smooth out my liver and then i would feel less anxious he gave me very definitive unambiguous immediate answers here's what you need to do here's what you need to stop here's the answer and he was pretty much he was one of the only people who did that everyone who was involved in what we would think of as conventional science and medicine was much more talking about the balance of probabilities and possibilities and when i asked them something that was outside of their field of expertise they responded i don't know or then perhaps they speculated but they said i'm just speculating i don't know or perhaps they referred me to an expert in that field who would know better than them or maybe they just said you know weird we don't know especially in their own field actually they would often say we don't know yet that's still a very much a live question and I feel what 
Eric Nelson is advocating for here is is good for the sales pitch and bad for humanity. I think it's bad for readers. You know, I, t- you, I, I, th- I think there are loads of books that are about nuance and complexity. Like for me, like a great novel, the whole point of fiction, the whole point of writing anything actually at novel length, non-fiction or fiction, because I can write a bullet-listed article. You can knock that out. If it's do this, don't do this, you can knock that out in 500 words. And I, th- I, I think pretty much most topics, unless you're writing like a complex instruction manual, which is a different genre, to popular non-fiction then just you all we if it's just a case of do this don't do this you can write that in a, a frigging listicle you can write that in a 500 word article because if there's no need for nuance if there are just here's a right thing here's a wrong thing then you don't need 80,000 100,000 120,000 words to thrash it out most of that's going to be padding the reason you need that much is if it's more complicated than that if it's a bit more of a detective story if there are twists and turns if it's like i thought this and then i went here and now i thought this hang on and then this happened that completely changed my understanding of everything that had come before so now what am i supposed to think and so i went here and i did and like what is the point of the dialectic of fiction or non-fiction where you can you have this space to present contrasting voices to show ideas in conflict to smash them together interestingly to make us think first it was this and now i'm not so sure like to me that's really compelling it's really compelling to read a non-fiction book and to follow a character or so the author is presenting one idea and then rather than them just like me essentially reading a 80,000 word blog post where they where they start off at the beginning their opinion there i think the, i think x is in fact y is the same uh, that they close the book on why what journey have you been on writing this you you've made a long argument why was I here for that? You know, I did. Did you not go on a journey writing this? Was your intuitive sense of what the world's like so perfect that every bit of research you've done at this book it just it, it sort of beautifully accorded with that, and and nothing you did changed it? Or, or am I reading eighty thousand words of? confirmation bias where you say i want to write a book about this and why you know why why the belgians are annoying i don't have anything against belgian people i think they're lovely i'm just i sometimes use them as a sort of stock country if i'm trying to make someone sound unreasonable to attack uh because who would attack the belgians but you know if someone's like saying i want to write a book about why belgium is is a threat to the world and then they go off and they interview a bunch of people and all those people say, yeah, Belgium is, is going to be the ruin of all humanity. Um, then are we supposed to think that you just had an intuition and then everything that you then went and found out about just happened? Or does it sound like you are 
it's confirmation bias and that you you've more or less gone out to find stuff that fits with your initial premise it just seems silly to me and it's not interesting and it's like well i've read the first chapter now what on earth are you going to tell me in the rest of the book that i couldn't have got out of a single article why am i reading the book now and i don't doubt that sometimes those books sell well i'm just like why the fuck would you ever want to be the author of one of those like it's not a great it's not a great it's not a good it's not even a good book we have so many polemics in this world we have such a surfeit of pundits and people offering takes i just don't feel it's what the world needs and there's an element of selfishness in this because i just i don't want people to be spending their time writing punditry where they try and make a counterintuitive point about the state of the nation i, I don't care I, I just honestly don't care what you think what i'd like to hear is you taking your best ideas so what i want is a book with a really great question oh my gosh like a really burning question that you then take and you smash against stuff you you use it that it drives the author through the book and they also seek out the biggest disconfirmations of it the things that threaten that idea the the idea or the premises the most that they really try and do the opposite of straw manning you know that they try and challenge the idea in a way that is interesting i the book that i wanted to get down from my shelf that i never did because I, I, I felt too tired when I started reaching for it. Is it like, I think a good example is John Ronson, who is an extremely popular nonfiction author, who writes these books where he's, he exists in the books as a character, but where he starts off with a question that he wants answering and he seeks out people, whether it's, you know, is there something to the conspiracies that, uh conspiracy theorists believe in in them or you know what's it like to be sort of ganged up on on the internet in so you've been publicly shamed for example or in the psychopath test where he wants to learn about psychopaths and he he, he you know he goes on a journey where what he thinks about the topic changes and evolves within the writing of the book and sometimes the way he writes it, he is confronted with some surprising things that challenge what he thought. And, you know, in the psychopath test, some of the culpability, he sort of he turns back on himself and he asks himself, you know, to what extent do I, you know, slightly dehumanise people or turn them into caricatures when I'm writing a book? Because there's, you know, elements of them that make a great, set piece in a scene and other elements of them that sort of complicate that in a way that isn't so interesting or doesn't fit the narrative so much should i and i and i decide to leave that out and he he cops to that and he writes about it in i think a way that feels just so much more interesting for the reader because it's good right because we're not idiots because human beings aren't idiots and we love being taken one way and then being taken another and having to think about things that's what make a, makes a book resonate after you've read it right where you go i didn't know what to think about this person 
that's what's so interesting about his journalism really is he often presents a complicated picture where he'll present somebody and he'll tell us some good things about them and he'll tell us some uh, not so flattering things about them and we're left to kind of think about it and it's still you know popular non-fiction it's still very readable it's not like dense academic work it's meant to be entertaining and he is very good at leaving stuff on the kind of cutting room floor so to speak um that isn't necessary you know he's 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 very kind of spare and I, i think very disciplined in kind of cutting stuff out so he tells these stories very quickly and i think that's something that i'm not good at um that i really admire in his work is just his ability to actually paint a picture or tell a story with with just the necessary words and no more but I, I think it's terrific and it just goes to show that readers will lap that up and his work is regularly top of the non-fiction charts when it's released because people are interested he takes interesting topics and he writes about them in a way where he you know he still has an opinion at the end of it and he expresses that but there's often complexity to it there's nuance there's not switches this thing's good this thing's bad there are dials and there are things that he cops to being conflicted on and unsure of and that still sort of haunt is probably too much of a word but still nag at his mind after writing about them whereas like is this can this be the case to say actually uh, not to immediately jump to the person he's continued compared with but i i read louis theroux's book that he wrote the call of the weird where he re- revisited some of the topics of his some of the people who'd been in his early documentaries and i thought that was a terrifically written book as well and, and one with elements of you know conflictedness and he wrote i thought he wrote terrifically well on the page um where again he's like he, he doesn't he sort of talks about his own feelings about stuff but he, you're not told like one line about like this thing this person's good this person's bad this person was funny this person was a fraud or whatever it's not switches it's dials it's we're we're given bits of flavor and bits of character and like all good fit you know like good fiction it's a dialectic it we show don't tell we are stuff is suggested and implied and we the readers are left to draw our own conclusions and two people can read the book and come to different opinions about it and have discussions and go no i didn't get that from him at all you know like if you've ever seen a really good documentary and you come away and you go what did you think about that character you know a real person but you did you think he was being honest in when he was talking about his experiences and one person can go yeah i I didn't like him at all and you can go i sort of found myself reluctantly admiring them a bit i thought they were pretty cool it must have been so difficult that like this is the beauty of writing uh, a sort of novel length book length work rather than a short article sure if you are writing the feature that gets commissioned off the back of your non-fiction book coming out and the independent tell you we want 500 words on as i'm sure will happen at some stage if i don't alienate everyone you know some magazine i'll be offered a a feature where it's like right 500 words on uh, anxiety and some tips for getting over it yeah look sure i'm not going to write this deeply nuanced piece 
umming and ahhing about it. That's not what they want. They want me to go get some exercise, go for walks. Have you considered like they'll just want me to just churn out the same old thing? And to a certain extent, you kind of got to walk the walk in in those situations and kind of just go. All right then, all right, I'll do that then. I'll, I'll try and say one interesting thing in it, but I'm not going to be able to reproduce the entire complexity of the book in this tiny article because if I could then I shouldn't have written the book because it's over length you know what I mean if you can if you can just say if you can just say do this don't do that that quickly you may be right (laughs) you know there are some things where we can categorically say don't do that or it is bad putting your hand into boiling water is bad we don't need to kind of like agonize over which condition and where and exactly when's right and all this stuff we you know we can say some things but then oh, that's you but you wouldn't need but that's why you don't write an eighty thousand word book on why you shouldn't thrust your hand into boiling water because it's it's too simple like all the things that I think make for good non-fiction books must by necessity have an element of complexity that makes the questions interesting. Like that's why it's worth you know grappling with and you know wrestling with over the course of a book because it's not as simple as just and you know who do we really want to write these tedious books of moral instruction for people? Or telling them how to live their like their children? Or am I inviting in... Am I assuming that the reader is intelligent and a grown-up? And meeting them at that level? Am I assuming they can follow a complex argument? And that they might even be interested in that and find it compelling? that they can draw their own conclusions. There's a, a lot of ways that some authors will sort of dodge criticism that they've oversimplified something or only given one side by saying, well, I'm just starting a conversation. But they never write like that. They, and I, I think that's an irresponsible way of approaching it. That we, we, we see from the way that the world is that there's too many people who sort of, fake authoritativeness through just misrepresenting their case and i just think it, i just find it fascinating when someone is prepared to to make a topic varied and complex you know if you're re- reading a biography of someone for example do you want this two-dimensional x was good they did good stuff you know were were they right to do this yes that's not as interesting as showing the times they were right the times they were wrong how different groups responded to them how a different i went to speak to this person and they they argued this but then when you go to speak to people who kind of grew up with her they said this and they had a completely different impression and is this person saying this because they've got an agenda or maybe these were two sides to them whether you knew them professionally or whether you knew them sort of in a family context that's really interesting to me that's why I would want to go you go oh there's a mystery here and then we start to pursue it 
it doesn't mean necessarily that you get to the end of the book and just give like a kind of wishy-washy. So in any case, X, A Land of Contrasts by, um, you know, like actually you want to write something where maybe at the end you cop to your suspicions. But I think there's something tantalising and inherently engaging about mystery and about Tent the tensions that come out of evidence pulling in different directions. You know who who did this murder? It's it's not interesting to have just a, 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 a an immediate switch. You want dials. You want shadows and ellipses and these lacunae where we can't see what was going on in such and such a person's mind, and and we can present evidence. And maybe we, maybe you have a compelling piece of evidence that you bring up, but we we just don't know. And I think it's irresponsible to claim that there are switches for human behaviour, especially when an honest look at the science doesn't give a definitive answer. To claim you do have the definitive answer is just, at best, it's a somewhat naive marshalling of the available evidence that makes you look better because you're going you're claiming to be more certain and so you you seem like i say more knowledgeable so it's but i think it's really just a lie and i think anyone who's being intellectually honest has to cop to the complexity of it and of course it's much easier to sell a, a ted talk off the back of that it's much easier to be a talking head on a radio program and go what we need to do is this so you're saying this yes i am it's that's a much clearer message it's much easy more it's much easier to bunch up into a tweet but i think it's often it's ultimately a bit cheap you know and i think we owe each other i just think what respect have you got for your readers if you're prepared to do that if you just think ah oh, they can't cope with nuance i'm just going to I'm just going to spoon feed them this sort of abridged version because people are idiots. No, I don't think that's a good idea. I don't want them to make informed decisions based on a balance of probabilities. So I'm just going to cut that out, not give them access to the information and just tell them what to do. And like, you can have fun with it. I think there's always like ways of being humorous about about stuff. And you can sometimes, I guess, frame. You can, yeah, like uh, you can be, you can be funny about it. Of course, like I, I, I think this all better off if someone's writing a piece of satire or they're writing a, uh, essentially a stand-up set on the page, and they're like, "Did you, did you ever notice? Is it just me or blah blah blah? I think that such and such should happen. Like th- those are those can be funny, but I just don't think it's good." advice for human beings and i think there's just so many counter examples of great books that are filled with gradations of information and ambiguity and shades of meaning and a complex interplay of factors and the world is full of people who can't parse complicated information because they're constantly having it dumbed down for them and i think you know ben goldacre's uh 
his collected columns. A, a book that's done very well, actually, called, it's, it's called, I think you'll find it's a bit more complicated than that. And it's really interesting. And it's, you know, a lot of it's about data analysis, right? And how we make truth claims in science. It's a really interesting book. And his column in The Guardian was really popular. And he, a, lot, a lot of what he's doing is debunking claims. And if you, you know, people are, the problem is that just releasing these books where we say, do this, don't do that, ultimately undermines people's faith in science. Because it seems like every year we're being told, you need to eat this to beat cancer or to be fit or to lose weight. And then the next year, a book comes out saying the exact opposite. And we're like, oh, they're constantly contradicting each other, aren't they? Well, no, what's happening is people are trying to sell units by overstating the case and having undue confidence in their conclusions. And yeah, sure, I'm sure that their publishers think, great, this sounds very confident, they sound very authoritative, but it very quickly gets shown up to be not quite as simple as that. And then we all lose faith in it a bit. We think, oh, you can't. And that, that's why there's a sense that, like, diet books in general are this exploitative, nonsensical... You know, like, I, I suspect if you're anything like me, you would see the whole genre of diet books or exercise-based books or weight-loss books as existing in this slightly in this slightly dubious area of sort of charlatanism, right? Because you've encountered so many examples of people who are just bullshitting. Or just, like I say, unduly com confident in their opinions. And, and they, they want to sell... And, and the other thing is you can't really... You can't, you can't really get onto podcasts and talk shows and, and sell out lecture theatres and whatever giving lectures where or it's you know it's less compelling if you're just going to say some things that feel like they're nuanced and in line with the current scientific mainstream you, you it's kind of like going to be much more compelling if you're saying something controversial so people say something controversial and those voices get lifted higher because they people find it interesting well, what's this he's saying that we should eat more carbs and less protein Sounds like, an, sounds like an interesting take. We should eat all meat. Well, I think most people think oh, that's bollocks and unhealthy and dreadful, but those people get feet... People want to stop and listen. So they're like, well, how are you going to justify this? And and, uh, and and that's, you know, books that are just about the carnivore diet. They, they're switches, not dials. But they're bollocks. They're just complete bollocks. Now, of course, you know... You, you can argue for any position using less or more nuance so it's not actually valenced in a kind of ideological way except to, uh, and there'll be some people who, who get angry because they think where well, if you're if you talk if you're asking calling for nuance what you're actually calling for is this kind of milk toast both sidesism where you can never really argue for anything except the status quo because everyone's got a point and and, and that you end up in this kind of like puddle of wishy-washy grey relativism where you can't argue for anything and all you can be is this very moderate gradualist because 
who knows it's not about that at all it's just i just think it's about treating your readers as grown-ups whether you're writing a novel or whether you're writing non-fiction i just have and it, and look it may not be the best way to sell a book but i think it's the best way to write a good book and one with integrity and that is and one that you won't find yourself having to defend and feeling I'm feeling really sort of got at because you've overstated your case like the other thing is if you write a, a book that's written with integrity and with a genuine desire to seek out the truth then you <laughs> you're just going to have a much easier time down the road because you're not going to immediately have your content exposed as being complete horseshit, right? Like that's what I—that's just what I think. And I think that what compels readers through things is a good story, and a story relies on conflict, and a com and conflict relies on in competing interpretations and perspectives. So you need nuance for that. There's no conflict if you agree with everything that you say. There's no conflict if you don't deliberately seek out countervailing viewpoints. There's no conflict if there isn't mystery and gaps and information that doesn't seem to fit well together. Like to me, that's just cool and fascinating. And, and, and you feel conflicted about what you've written. And maybe you're drawn towards some conclusions that you don't like the implications of. And you get to talk about that and you get to seek it out and you get to be diligent. To me, that's really interesting. I don't, I don't want the sort of lifestyle magazine 300 words uh, summary because that can just be in a lifestyle magazine 300 words summary i don't i don't need to read a whole book on that because i'll i'll anticipate where you're going immediately i you, you you're just wasting my time that's just that's just a tweet with padding and what i want is something that cannot fit in any other format except the book i want you to spend all those words because you had to because it's complicated because it's interesting and difficult and full of hidden depths now whether i'm successful in doing that when i write my own books is is, is another question altogether but it's what i attempt to do and it, that's why i disagree with this idea that we need switches not dials because i think it's insulting to readers. It makes for bad books. It makes... It spreads misinformation. And... I think it's deeply irresponsible for publishers to, to run with that kind of stuff, to be honest. Especially when it's in the kind of like medical, mental health and health spaces. Because it often makes people make a lot of really bad decisions, you know. And the world needs more critical thinking, not less. Well, look, I hope that was useful for you. Obviously, I mean, it would be pretty churlish if I ended an episode by saying, well, I hope that was utterly without merit and did not help you in the slightest. But those are just my thoughts, and I'm putting them out there in the hope that it will get you interested, sort of thinking a bit about what you would want to, what you want to do with your writing whether it's fiction or non-fiction 
in terms of what you want to convey to a reader. For me, it's always more valuable to get them thinking than it is to convey a particular ideological message because, frankly, if they already agree with you, then what was the point in saying it? And if they don't agree with you, then simply boldly, boldly stating it in an obvious way is unlikely to change their mind. I think the place where change happens, the sort of rich and interesting place, is where you get someone, or at least you trick them into believing that they're thinking for themselves and reaching their own conclusions. I think when you do that, that's when you might actually write something where the person reading it is in one place when they start and in a different place when they end. And what an incredible thing to have done, you know? In any case, look, if you and if you've got your own thoughts on this or you think I missed something out or I haven't explained something very well or, or, or you completely disagree or that there's exceptions or there's something that you'd like me to talk about in a future episode that I haven't done already or you just want to say hello, you can get in touch via my website. My website's timclairpoet.co.uk. There's just a little box that says contact me. Click on that. It's a link and you can just send me an email. I'd love to hear from from you. Whatever, you know, if it's something you'd particularly like me to cover in a future episode or you'd just like to say hello or, you know, you want to give some feedback. Always lovely to hear. Well, I suppose it's not always lovely to hear from it. Uh, but I think I very, very rarely get anyone being... In fact, I don't really get people being abusive. Uh, occasionally, every now and then, get someone being a bit... Um, uh, well, no, I don't want to shame them by saying they're being weird. I just maybe a bit inappropriate, but that's fine. It, it comes with the territory, I suppose. Um, in other news, I'm feeling kind of pretty much all right at the moment. A bit, like I say, a bit tired, which sometimes makes me a bit more nervy and uh, than normal. But I'm doing all right, you know. I'm doing so much better than I was last year and um, I feel pretty lucky I hope your writing's going okay just keep plugging away at it keep a sense of play because that's what works for me and all in all and I say this very sincerely my dear dear friend I hope you have a wonderful week of writing